This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Starting a business and leading a company takes a lot of skills and a lot of confidence. However, many of the psychological habits and behavioral patterns that help startup CEOs and entrepreneurs get where they can also damage their relationships and well-being. Our next guest suggests a different course for leaders. He says that inner reflection and self-inquiry can help leaders have better lives, both professionally and personally. Jerry Colonna is the founder and CEO of of executive coaching firm Reboot.io. He is also the author of the new book, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up, and a pleasure to have him joining us right now. Jerry, great to have you with us. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time today. So what do you think, when somebody is given the task of of leadership, what do you think changes within that person when they're called on to to have that role? Well, usually the first thing that happens is they panic. And uh, sometimes if they call me, they might even uh, call me with a little nausea. Um, They're so sick by the overwhelm of it. But then what ends up happening is that they start to, all of the internal challenges that they have start to get amplified by the challenges of actually working in that leadership position. So, for example, if they're conflict avoidant, then they, or if they tend to conflict avoidance, then their tendency tends to be exacerbated and it gets amplified throughout the organization. You use this term radical self-inquiry. Can you explain to to listeners what it is and and how important it is for leaders to understand? Yeah, it it goes beyond this notion of self-awareness, and I call it radical because we tend not to actually do it. Um, And it starts with basic premises uh, like, for example, how am I actually doing right now? How am I actually feeling? Um, Am I anxious? Am I scared? Am I filled with joy? And then as a leader starts to unpack their issues, they start to ask questions like, what kind of CEO do I want to be? What kind of leader do I want to be? What kind of company do I want to build? Rather than just automatically just going about their business and taking and doing the tasks of every day. We're joined uh, on the phone by Jerry Colonna, who is the author of the book Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at Biz Radio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So in the scope of, of being a leader, how does the component of growing up play in? Well, you know, I use it somewhat tongue-in-cheek because of all... Of course, we're all sort of, or most of us are chronologically adult. But um, I associate the notion of growing up with this uh, larger notion of fully actualizing the self and becoming the adult that we were actually born to be. Somewhere in our 30s, for example, we might get stuck in our process of becoming our person. And what occurred to me was that then all of the challenges associated with assuming uh, power became uh, become good fodder for us completing our work and becoming the adults we were born to be, thus growing up. You mentioned that great achievers aren't always the greatest leaders. Why? Well, because, you know, there's an old truism, and Marshall Goldsmith, uh, who was a brilliant coach, wrote a book to this, and that which got you there doesn't necessarily get you uh, where you need to be. Um, and so sometimes the, the drivers 
that uh, create that achievement start to get into the way once we have power and authority. And that's where the interesting work starts to begin. So how do how does this also potentially impact the person on their personal life as well? Well, you know, you're in that interesting place where you all of a sudden have this massive amount of power. You have a sort of a massive is probably too strong a word. You have power, you have agency, you have responsibility for people. And then at night, you put your head down on the pillow and you start to spin, you start to ruminate, you start to worry. And the worries get larger and larger as the responsibilities get larger and larger. By leaning into the work that you can do, by leaning into that growing up work, you can actually begin to dial down the anxieties. A good example of this is the fact that most leaders think they're the only ones who struggle with what to do. Most leaders think they're alone in feeling incompetent. I like to make people laugh by talking about the fact that, you know, if I stand up in front of an audience, I might say something like, who here is brave enough to admit that they have no idea what they're doing? And then that just sort of breaks the tension. But I, I would think on the personal side that when you're talking about dealing with all of, of these different elements that are that are kind of in play, especially when you're talking about somebody on the personal life that, that is married and, and had kids, that, that, that those are areas that can be significantly impacted because of this, this, this excessive, or I shouldn't say excessive, this larger leadership role that that person may be in their uh, professional career. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, one of the uh, uh, unintended consequences of our rising up throughout an organization is that very often our spouses and our children pay a price. And that's painful. That's incredibly painful. So, you know, when I go into an organization, not only do, are we encountering the individuals who are suffering, but sometimes Sadly, even the teenagers of those who have power and authority and agency and leadership are actually suffering as well, all because our relationship to work is so bound up into these outdated and outmoded notions of leadership. Right. And then obviously some of the impacts that may play out in in one's personal life may end up coming back and, and having an impact on their professional life as well. All the time, all the time. I mean, there's a, there, there's a, uh, a misunderstanding that we all grew up with, I certainly grew up with, which is that you're supposed to leave your personal life at the door. Well, good luck with that, yeah. good, right? Yeah. Good luck with walking it. If, if, if you had a fight with your spouse last night or if your, teenage, uh, your teenager came home uh, drunk and you're walking into the office, Tell me the kind of human being who can walk in and not carry that and have that impact their work throughout the day. And so my advice is to actually create space within yourself for what's going on, but also to let the team know, to let people know there's some stuff going on at home. Not to turn the, the, the work meeting into a therapy session, but to create some space for the human being to show up so that we can then access all of that talent that exists in that person. We're joined by Jerry Colonna, who is the author of the book Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So what are some of the things that you suggest that when you are someone that maybe should have a reboot of some kind, what are some of the more important questions that, that maybe one needs to ask oneself? 
Well, one of the more startling questions, and again, this is sort of geared towards someone who has positional power, one of the more startling questions I'll ask someone is, um, how would you feel if one of your children came to work at the organization you were leading? Just let that one land. Yeah. Because if you have any hesitancy about that, what's up with the organization? I uh, Yeah, I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, because because I, I, you want to try the old line. I, I think of it is you want to set a great example for your children moving forward. If you're not able to set that example, you know how can you play that out in your business with employees as well? That's right, and 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 even more, if you hesitate on that question, then yeah. what are your employees saying to their children? or bringing home to their children? What energy are you bringing home? And so to use that question as a kind of framing question to begin the process of saying, you know what, maybe I should rethink the way I approach leadership. And in doing that, the danger is you may actually start to rethink the way you're living your life. And that may require a larger reboot going on. But the fact is we're all faced with those step function changes in our life, my advice is I'd rather see someone go through that consciously with, a, with a, an awareness about what's going on for them, radical self-inquiry, rather than have it happen to them and be blindsided by those forces. You know, going back to the great achievers point for a second, when you think about it, you know, somebody that is a great achiever in many cases is probably thinking about themselves and their own personal success, whereas with a great leader, you have to be thinking more about the team in many cases. Yeah. So two things I would say. The first is, and I generally think of them as high achievers, and I'll, I'll sort of, again, I'll work with a group and I'll turn around and, you know, when I can feel them coming forward, I sort of look at them and say, got straight A's, didn't you? Right. And they smile and they laugh. And because behind that isn't necessarily a narcissism. Behind that is a fear of disappointing someone, right? Yeah. And when they carry that into a leadership position, they can, they can infect the rest of the organization with that fear of disappointing. And so it starts to rumble through. I would then make a separate distinction, which is that the way we start to inculcate great leadership is when we change the notion of leadership from high achievement and high output and high outcome to creating the conditions by which those of us with whom we work can do the best work of their lives. All of a sudden, the leader's work becomes creating a container for great work rather than having all the answers which is an impossibility anyway. How important are, is it at times to, to have both your professional successes and developments linked with your personal successes and developments? Well, if I can challenge the underlying premise of the question, which okay. is to, dis, to, to separate the two. Okay. Okay. From where I sit, the two are intricately, intrinsically linked, and we do damage when we pretend that that isn't so. I have work over here, and I have life over here. I have professional success over here, and I have personal success over here. And that leads to a divided condition where our inner life and our outer life are not matching. And so not only do we lead with a, a kind of um, uh, condition in which we, we instill a sense of distrust, because yeah. people can read that, but we start to feel unhappy ourselves. 
We're joined by Jerry Colonna, who is the author of the book Reboot. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Two of the, the, the ideas that you bring up uh, involve grit and resiliency. And, and you talk about how uh, these are two things that at times can be misunderstood. Why so? Uh, well, I think that uh, the notion of grit and the notion of resiliency, when misunderstood, lead to this notion that I'm supposed to suffer, right, and that there's something noble okay. in the suffering. Um, that's silly, and that actually hmm. creates all sorts of problems. Um, uh, there's a notion of false grit, which is kind of brittle, where if something truly difficult happens to us, we tend to break, and we know that we're brittle. And so inside, we start to have, we feed this notion of an inner critic that says, yeah, you think you know what you're doing. You think you're resilient. But let me tell you, if something really, really tough happens, right, then you'll break. True resiliency, true grit, actually has the capacity be, to be flexible, to understand that even the worst situations are, to use a Buddhist term, workable. That is, I can learn from this experience. I can find some greater sense of connectedness and therefore grow from this. And oh, by the way, it hurts. And to deny that it hurts is to deny my humanity. I would imagine that then a lot of these concepts also play back into something that, that we have talked on this show about in the past, uh, is kind of the dynamic of, of the office to begin with, and why so many companies are, are now more worried than ever, or at least focusing more than ever, maybe worried is the, is the wrong word here, uh, about the structure of the company, the people that are there, kind of the environment, the culture, you know, all of these components seemingly are more now than ever important for a company to, to really focus on. Well, my first reaction to that is thank goodness, right? Yeah. Because the, the fact is uh, so many people suffer in work. And it's not necessary. It does not necessarily contribute to, say, the organization's financial success to have a third of the employees uh, with uh, dealing with depression or, or anxiety. You know, to go back to our, our families for a moment, a few years ago I was on a CNN documentary on mental health in the startup community, in the tech startup community. And after that uh, episode aired, I got a phone call from the head of talent at a very, very large software company who spoke about the fact that the health care claims for anxiety-related illnesses for the children of their top executives had gone up 30, 40, 50 percent in the previous two years. What are we doing? Yeah. Right? And so to your point, the larger organization, the more we focus on those organizations and how we're interacting with each other, we can not only create the financial success, which is really important, but we can actually create these kinds of work environments where human beings thrive and they get to be their best selves. And that just feels really important and, dare I say it, even sacred. Have you yourself gone through a reboot? Oh, boy, yes. Um, you know, my previous incarnation, I was a venture capitalist. 
I was uh, uh, part of the first wave of Internet-related investing. And in my late 30s, which is now about 17 years ago, in my late 30s, I hit a tremendous wall of depression, uh, which I had had a lifetime relationship with depression, to be clear. Um, But it led me to feel intensely suicidal. And it was at that point in my life, in 2002, where I chose to either, I had a choice to either give in to the depression and let it win, or reach down and figure out a way to reboot my life. And everything that I am today, the man I am today, some folks say I'm a pretty good guy, all stems from having made the right choice. And that right choice came about because I chose to live and not give in to those feelings. How'd you go about it? Well, the first thing I did was I called my therapist, right. which was yes. a wise choice. Yes. And she said, I want you to just go away and take a retreat. And I began by reading uh, Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak, Pema Children's When Things Fall Apart, and Sharon Salzberg's Faith. And those three books began a process of rebuilding, rebooting my life. That's when I really began this process of radical self-inquiry. Right. Because everything, nothing... I was outwardly incredibly successful and inwardly hollow and in pain. But you do have people that, that may not have the means to be able to kind of go through this process. So how, how, how do you suggest that, that those people kind of tackle this? this is, there's, a, there's a fabulous human invention called community. I joke. But we are surrounded by people who are going through what we are going through. People often ask me, what is it, the one message you want people to, to really understand? And, and it's simply this, you're not alone. And in that connectedness to other people struggling, you can find relief, you can find uh, solace, you can find companionship. It starts by asking yourself, how are you doing? How am I really feeling? And no BS. How are you really doing? And if you're struggling, you pick up the phone. Even if you can't pay for a therapist, you pick up the phone, you call a friend, and you say, I need to go for a walk. And you open up your heart. I think there's an element of this that becomes very important, especially when you're talking about kind of the culture we have around healthcare in general right now and all of the other issues that are kind of at play. Yeah, well, you know, some of the issues that we're talking about and touching upon quickly here, we make them worse because we stigmatize. Right. We stigmatize, you know, we, we, we think that uh, being um, flexibly resilient is somehow a weakness. We think that we're all supposed to be John Wayne walking around able to take a punch in the face. And that's just not human beings. It's just hard. And I'm not talking about I'm, t- I'm talking about a kind of deeper strength, the strength that comes from saying, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. I need to listen to knowledge at Wharton to even figure <laughs> out how to be a leader. Yeah. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. And, yeah. 
And from where I sit, that's the message I want to send to the next generation of leaders behind us, because I see myself as slipping into elderhood right now. And I think that, that my job for the next 20, 30 years is to teach the next generation that it's okay to raise your hand and say, I'm struggling, I'm lost, I don't know what I'm doing. Does anybody know a way? Have about 30 seconds left, but the, the challenge with that is that the, those next generations seemingly are, are twice as busy as we were you know, coming up as well. Yeah, I think that, 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 that part of what that next generation deals with is uh, not only are they busy, but they live in this mode of constant comparison. Right. And one of the things I often say to young folks in their 20s is, don't believe social media, (laughs) other than my Twitter account. Don't believe... And mine. Yeah, yeah. Don't believe the the comparison. Not everybody is living the joyful life that they put out there. Yeah. Jerry, great having you on the show with us today. Thank you very much, and, and good luck with the book. Thank you so much, and thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you, sir. Jerry Colonna, author of the book Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. Uh, The book is available in bookstores and online for your purchase right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.